looking at. Welcome to Next Gen, the 15-minute rewatch of Star Trek The Next Generation that gives you even more time to watch, wait for it, more Star Trek. I'm Bill Smith. And I'm Jamie Rogers. This episode, we're introduced to the fearsome, big, bad Ferengi in The Last Outpost. <laughs> I thought you said fearsome. That's so cute. Before we talk about the deadly and intimidating Ferengi, let's take a look at the library computer data for The Last Outpost. It was written by Herbert Wright from a story from Richard Krizimian, and I'm going to apologize for butchering that last name Oof. because um, once you see the spelling, I think you'll understand the issue I had. It was directed by Richard Kola and aired originally on October 17th, 1987. The Enterprise makes a confrontational first contact with the piratical Ferengi race as their two ships are ensnared by a presumed dead planet ready to judge them. And that actually is the first time I've ever used the word piratical, Jamie, as you start the two-minute recap. The Enterprise is in pursuit of a Ferengi vessel, which has stolen an energy converter from an unnamed Federation outpost. While the Ferengi are known to, to the Federation, this will be the first actual contact with the species, unless you watch Enterprise. As the chase passes to planet Delphi Ardu 4, both ships lose power and are rendered disabled. Each crew initially believes that the power drain is caused by the other vessel, but soon Captain Picard realizes that the Ferengi vessel is in the same predicament as the Enterprise. Lieutenant Commander Data discovers that the planet is a remote outpost of the Takan Empire that became extinct 600,000 years ago. Picard contacts the Ferengi vessel and they agree to mutually explore the planet in order to find the energy drain. The Enterprise crew beams down, are separated, and then are ambushed by the Ferengi away team. The away team eventually break free and exchange weapon fire, but the energy expelled is absorbed by a nearby crystalline structure. An entity is awakened and displays itself as a humanoid named Portal 63, a guardian of the Takan Empire. The Ferengi accuse the Enterprise away team of being a hostile force, and Commander Riker courageously stands up to the portal and admits to some of the accusations being levied on them by the Ferengi. The portal steps forward, ready to attack when Riker says, Fear is the true enemy, the only enemy, while not flinching as the attack comes. The portal accepts this and stands down from the challenge. Satisfied that the Federation is civilized, he allows the Enterprise to go free. The portal offers Riker the opportunity to destroy the Ferengi vessel, but he declines, on the grounds that the Ferengi would learn nothing from such an action. Both away teams return to their ships and power restored, with power restored, and the Ferengi return the stolen energy converter. Well, as we consider this episode, we move into the observation lounge to talk about what worked for us and, well, what might not have worked. And Jamie, I have to say that I really like the conflict between our crew and the Ferengi in this episode because we know nothing about them, you know? I, I think that, that that gives us a really interesting challenge uh, for Starfleet because they're the first new alien we've seen in a while. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and I remember watching this episode as a, as a young fellow. <laughs> um, I was really, you know, even when I was rewatching it today, I was really trying to put myself in that place of how I was when I was young and, and whether or not they were new and exciting and fearsome. And, 
you know, you, you see them come on the view screen for the first time and, and yeah, they're very fearsome. But then when you see them on the planet, not, not so much <laughs> to say. <laughs> yeah, the not at all. Um, but you know, the couple things do work about the Ferengi. Um, like I said, the voices and, and, and like I said, that when you see them on the view screen, they are very intimidating. And I think that Ferengi ship is an excellent design as well. I, I really think that it works on a lot of levels. I mean, when it's standing toe-to-toe with the Enterprise D, it, it looks like it's about the same size. Um, and it, it really does look intimidating. So to me, the Ferengis work to a certain extent. Not all the way, but um, there's definitely things that work about them. I thought as a concept, they worked. I thought, think in execution, they really kind of missed the mark a little bit. And we'll talk about that in the what doesn't work portion of it. But I, I think you're right. I think there are aspects of the Ferengi that that really kind of stand true and work, um, especially as they stand in for um, representing the pitfalls of the 1980s in particular with avarice and greed and, and capitalism. I think that that's a, a clearly defined statement that, that Roddenberry and the writers are trying to make. And I think in, in this aspect, at that point in time, I think it works pretty well. Another thing that works for me is Riker quoting Sun Tzu. Um, it's nice to hear some of that espoused in Star Trek, even though it's, you know, about the art of war, I think it speaks to humanity with uh, fear is the true enemy, the only enemy. I think that that's really a great quote for Riker to throw out at that particular time, because um, it, it says that, you know, our, our problems aren't with each other. They're with what we fear. And, and usually what we fear is a lack of knowledge. And so I, I thought that that was a really great depth to add to Riker. Yeah, and, and when you think of the fact that he used the book, The Art of War, you know, that book clearly shows that there are rules to warfare. And we see that being, it, it was such a good storytelling device to use that book because you see in stark contrast the Ferengi that are basically willing to do whatever they can to get out of this crazy situation, whether it's be dishonest, whether it's bribery, what you know, yep. they're, they're willing to go to any means necessary um, to avoid being in this situation. You know, like I said, even if that means defaming the name of, of the Enterprise or the Federation or Starfleet, um, they're, they're willing to go whatever means necessary. And, that, and that's that's really stark contrast from that book. I, I agree with you 100%. The other thing that really worked for me was Riker's ability as an away team commander and a representative of Starfleet. You know, you, you've said in previous episodes of Next Gen is he really kind of takes on the Kirk role. And I think for me, this episode really solidifies it. He firmly establishes himself as an incredibly competent and effective commander, not only of, of Starfleet personnel, but of situations and first contacts. I think Riker is the whole package. And I think that I didn't appreciate that at the time in 1987, you know? No, I 100% agree with you. He worked, and I even put it in my notes, he worked on all levels. Yeah. All levels, um, even to the point of, you know, knowing what the right thing to say was. Um, and, you know, once again, we're seeing kind of these early incarnations of Yar and Worf that are just so trigger happy all the time. They want to fire on everything. And, and Riker being able to know when the right time to react is, know when the right time to speak is, know when the right time to listen is. He, he works on all levels. Um, and, and I even like how even at one point, you know, Worf tries to step in because he because he figures well this is going to be a battle so i should be the one as the klingon warrior to step in and jump in and Riker says nope 
no, that's not how we're going to handle this. I'm going to take charge of this situation. I'm going to be cool and level-headed. And, and I think it's really displayed. I mean, even to the fact of when that blade comes down, he doesn't even flinch. Um, it, it's just a perfect representation of a good leader on an away team mission. I have to agree with you completely. I'm excited to see more from Riker as these episodes progress. But is there anything else that may have worked for you in The Last Outpost? You know, I, I really like the use of the Observation Lounge um, as as a plot-telling device. And even, to an extent, the special effects, the, the 3D rendering of the ships. And um, I, I thought it was really ahead of its time and, and really fit. It made me feel like I was in the future. Um, so that's that really worked for me. Um, you know, that, that, that pretty much is it. Uh, it's not one of my favorite episodes, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Um, but it, it definitely, it, it, to me, it felt like an episode of Voyager, which I'm going to get into in a little bit. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'll be uh, interested to hear that. Well, obviously there are some things that work for us in this particular episode, but I'm guessing there are things that don't. And right up front, I got to say the Ferengi is a race to be feared just doesn't work for me at all. Um, whether it's the energy whips or the way they walk around like uh, um, animals with osteoporosis, I, I'm not sure, but it just something about that characterization just falls completely flat once we see them planet side. Yeah. And I, and I think a big piece of that too is, is the whips. <laughs> you know, we see them on the planet and it, and it just, they just didn't garner the effect that they should have you know and and i and i think it was a misstep for them to be kind of shorter because <laughs> it's let's face it you know when you got a race that's of shorter stature it it just doesn't seem as intimidating when you're standing over them you know it, it i i, th I think I, I like what the ferengi became in later incarnations of star trek even even tng they got better as time went on um but to be that big, bad, fearsome enemy like the Borg yeah. or the Romulans or even the Klingons in the original series, it, it just it left something to be desired. It really does. I'm going to run through my other list of things that didn't work for me really quickly, and then we'll move on to yours. Um, never before in Star Trek and never since has a character ever uttered the phrase, woo-wee. Um, and Jordy's sort of you know characterization in that scene is absolutely terrible. I get that he's excited, but um, I think there were better ways to write that. Um, that's just me. <laughs> I agree. Uh, the finger traps, a completely terrible device. And the idea that we're going to beam a box of these over to the Frankie at the end, just, uh, it, I hate that idea. It's just not Picard. It's not Starfleet. And then lastly, Leonard Mazelish. Now, people may or may not know that name. If you've watched William Shatner's documentary, Chaos on the Bridge, about the first season of Next Generation, uh, Leonard Mazelish was Gene's lawyer, and he inserted himself in the TNG writing process and at times exhibited too much control. And he actually interfered in the script writing process for this particular script. Writing or rewriting scenes um, when he had no business doing so. And I think some of that actually makes it to the screen. And I think it's part of the reason why some of this script just absolutely doesn't work, Jamie. Yeah, 100% agree with you. It, it it definitely makes this script feel disjointed, which is one of my things that didn't work in this episode. To me, and I know Voyagers kind of has this as as for some of some of negativity towards Voyager episodes. They have this great episode 
40 minutes through the episode and then the last couple minutes they have to try to wrap it up. And, and yeah. that's what I felt like in this episode. Um, I, I felt like the, the concept was good. And then we get towards the end of the concept and it's like, we, we only have a couple minutes left to wrap it up. So let's wrap yep. it up. And, and it just, it felt disjointed. So I don't know if that was particularly an example of Leonard Maisler's trying to dabble, but um, it, it just, it felt disjointed. It felt like the episode had more or should have went into other directions before the resolution. I agree completely. Was there anything else that uh, that struck you about this episode? It's just not working at all. <laughs> well, I know I talked about Riker working on all levels. Worf and Yar did not work on all <laughs> levels, <laughs> and and it just it becomes a trope really through the beginning of the series and into many other following seasons of Worf. It's just they they're just so trigger happy and they want to fire first all the time. And, and it's just, I don't know if it's a, if it's a plot device where they're trying to show the diplomacy side in the, in TNG with Riker and Picard, but I, I don't like Worf and, um, Yar's execution here. And the other thing that I really don't like is, you know, I, I get it that we have kids on the ship. It makes sense to me. But why is Riker having to walk into the observation lounge early to shoo kids away from the models? It, it just... That doesn't work for me. Riker as a babysitter is not working. A kid should be able to walk up to the door and the door not open because he's not authorized to be in there. Uh, to me, that's that's how it should be. Especially since that room is right off the bridge. Um, I, I feel like the kids shouldn't have access to deck one. Um, but I, I think that's a that's a writing plot hole. That's a problem. Um, I, I hopefully we don't find any more kids in there. But that's just me. One thing we are going to look for in this episode, Jamie, is its inner light. What do we learn about the characters of the Star Trek universe or even ourselves in this episode? And um, I think that I take away from this episode that even though we're in this advanced time, the Federation and Starfleet still definitely have adversaries that pose a threat. So far in Next Gen, the thing that's posed a greater threat to us is ourselves. And now we see some external forces coming in and and really posing a challenge for our crew. And I think that's kind of exciting. The other thing it tells me is that talking and finding consensus is just as important in the future as it is right now here on this planet. And unfortunately we just don't do a very good job of it right now. You know, we, we, we don't seek first to understand. And I think that that's something that, that we learned from this episode that we really need to do. You know, Bill, and another important component of that kind of piggybacking on what you're saying is, you know, Riker and the away team, when they're down on the planet, they choose to use the truth um, as another one of their ideals, even though it, it clearly looked like like the portal was going to choose to attack them or consider them barbaric because of the truth. Um, so I really appreciated that point. Um you know, the ideals of the Federation, even in the 24th century, may not be perfect, such as obeying the prime directive in every scenario, even when maybe a, a more superior race may destroy a weaker race, which was touched on in this episode. Um, but their ideals allow them to display courage and stand up to the unknown, even when it might be an uncomfortable situation for them. You know, one thing I, I will say, this episode really kind of hits on a trope that's going to be very apparent in the first season as well. Um, 
this theme of humanity being civilized and not being barbaric. Um, we saw it in Encounter at Farpoint. We saw it to a certain extent in Code of Honor. We see it again here in this episode. It's, it's kind of really an early trope that we're going to see in season one. And as much as I, I like season one, I like it when we get beyond that and we get more into the relationships of the characters. Um, to me, this humanity being civilized, not barbaric, is, is a trope that gets old real quick. You know, the last thing I want to say, Bill, is I, I really think that the creators in this first season, they were really looking for someone that was going to take the place of the Klingons in the original series. They wanted to come up with this super villain that was going to replace the Klingons. And, I, and I, obviously, I do think they came up short, but I do like the fact that Armin Shimmerman came into the Star Trek family right at this point um, because we're going to see that he plays several characters, Ferengi characters, throughout his run of the series. And, and what he brings to this race and their history and how they are as a character, to me, is so important to the Star Trek franchise. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring that up in this discussion. No, I think that that's a really great point to bring up. Not only does he play several other characters, but also a talking box, which I think is really kind of exciting. <laughs> but more about that episode when we get there. Yep. That's going to do it for this episode of Next Gen. Jamie, why don't you tell us about what's going to happen next time on Star Trek, The Next Generation? Well, I think we're going to go where no one has gone before. As we examine the first appearance of one of Bill and Dan's favorite characters, the Traveler. Uh, good old Lobster Claws. I love it. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of Next Gen. To leave us feedback, click on the More button in the app and send us an email. We'd be happy to hear from you. And until next time, live long and prosper.